And I remember carrying bricks around the wheelbarrow and then I'd go inside onto my computer to, to start my fledgling online business. Right. And I'm thinking, bricks is really hard <laughs> work. Really I hate this. Work. I would rather hire a builder. Salesmarketingprofit.com. Real world case studies. No theory, just real results. You're listening to SMP with James Schramko and Taki Moore. Welcome to Sales Marketing Profit, episode 30 with uh, Taki Moore and James Shremko. Mate, uh, excited about this one, one of yours. Great case study all about productized services. What are we going to call this one? I think we should call this one productized services. Oh, genius. <laughs> love that. You say I'm direct, right? I love that. Straight to the point. So talk to us about this case study. Who's it about? What was the, what, you know, give us a bit of their background. Well, I went to an event, as we often do, in another country, yep. and I met a lovely lady there who was kind of at the end of her with, with regards to her services because, like so many people, she's very talented yep. at what she does. She has built up some clients. Some of them weren't paying her what she was worth, and she wasn't charging nearly enough for what she was delivering for them, which I also is a, quite a common thing. Yeah, totally. So Nothing she's to like be a, ashamed of. No, no, no. It's really normal. So she's a freelancer or something like that. Exactly. A freelancer and she's very good at writing. Gotcha. So I think in terms of our audience, a lot of people will relate to this. They're in a service business yep. where they are doing fair bit of the work. Yeah. They're, you know, they're the face, and the front end, and yep. the back end. They're selling products one at a time. Yep. And they probably haven't got, you know, the perfect customer for every single job. Totally. And I think the pricing thing is really common as well. People have confidence issues around their price and their value, and so they tend to undercharge. And if you're a freelancer, most most freelancers, you know, undercharge and overwork or overdeliver. And so they end up, you know, burning the candle at, at both ends. Would you agree? I would agree. And there's a couple of reasons why that is. One is the, their confidence, yeah. right? As what is it? Dan Sullivan talks a lot about confidence. Sure. It's important for entrepreneurs to have confidence. Another one is that a lot of service jobs have fuzzy lines. Yeah, they totally do. So it's like, when is this job finished? It, it's not always black and white. I found this in particular with the website development business that often a customer would keep coming back over can, and oh, over. Oh, can you just? Uh, oh, can yeah, you just? So it's just one little thing. Yeah. Just this one little change. Uh, sure. But often the one little change would be like to completely redo everything yeah. on a, across a responsive mobile site, which means another 35 hours of work. Right. And because a lot of service businesses are actually selling time, yeah. most people don't have an effective hourly rate calculation for their value. No. I think it's worth covering that perhaps as a setup for this. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's do it. An effective hourly rate. It's a simple calculation. You take your profit yep. and you divide it. By how many hours you spent. Fair, that sounds simple. That. So you just need to take out all your costs, yep. right? Which is where, where you're working on the profit. On profit, not on so, revenue. Yeah. Right. So let's say like an average business ticking along, yep. they make a certain amount of revenue. Yep. Out of that comes all their costs, which again, most people don't really track properly. Especially freelancers. Freelancers, like, you know, you've got to cost your, your electricity and your telephone bills and all these things. So take out all your costs. Unfortunately, not often enough. They don't have staffing costs. Right. Yeah. They Which are is a problem. Staff. Yeah, because you're the right. staff. So therefore, the, the profit is usually going to be a very high percentage. That's the first sign 
where I can predict someone is having capacity issues. Right, of course. If they're running at a 90% profit margin, they're not spending enough on people. Totally. The second thing is you then take this you take this profit, you divide it by the number of hours you work. Yeah. Do you mostly do this on a monthly basis or probably easier to calculate it monthly than yearly? I would do it on a monthly basis. Yep. And, of course, it doesn't cater for things like asset value being created, but, again, with a service professional who's doing all the work themselves, there is no asset value. It's a job yep. by any other definition. Yep. Because so you can only sell something to the extent that it works without you. And if you were going to step out of the job and sell it, then you have to replace yourself with a commercial salary of yep. someone else who's going to do it, in which case the profit's going to be pretty much nothing. Right. And you would never get more than a multiple of about one for a service business unless you go down the productized service route yeah, and which create is what- a saleable asset, uh, which is what we're going to talk about. So what happens when people calculate their effective hourly rate often is they work out that they would most likely be better off to go and be a barista at the local cafe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so you've gone from business owner to barista. Right, so you're like you're cranking in like, like that uh, five grand a month, 10 grand a month. You take out your costs, you get your profit, and then you factor in the 500 hours you're working, <laughs> and it works out at like eight bucks an hour. Woo! And uh, in, a, in Australia, the average wage is actually much higher than that. So yeah, yeah. This, this is the first step to clarity, is knowing what your hour is actually worth. On the upper end, and you probably just about to ask me what sort of benchmarks would we look for. Hey, James, i got a quick question. Sure. What sort of benchmarks should we look for? Right. That is a good question, Taki. Often in the sort of realm that we're working with our higher-level clients, yep. We're often looking for something around $1,000 per hour. Right. So what that means is someone might be making around $100,000 profit Mm -hmm. and they might be working about 100 hours a month. Cool. Right? And they're probably creating some kind of an asset value there. Totally. Now, that number might sound off the charts to somebody. Yeah, but it's about… Leverage. Yeah, it's about leverage. It's all about leverage. It totally is. So let's get to this case study and I'm I'm really keen to see how… Effective hourly rate and productized services come in, but let's just give us a little bit more background about our case study person right now. I, all I know so far is she's a freelancer. She's working really hard. She's she's got a few clients who aren't paying, and she's not charging enough. Yeah, and she's basically got family as well, so she's got this imbalance. She's getting burnt out and not really seeing enough for it, and and that's a shame. And so she's she just basically got to the point. By the time I found her, she's on the verge of a breakdown, and it just felt like every time she did one more step forward like go to an event get all or, inspired again or or you know listen to a podcast something would happen and she'd get knocked back down again so she was just so frustrated and because i know that you know how easy it is to calculate effective hourly rate in in a simple conversation yeah i knew what the problem was straight away right so talk to us about the fix what do you guys do so the first thing I did is I explained to her that she should be looking to increase her prices. Yep. And I mean, I know this is like a common giveaway from sales expert, you know, raise your prices, whatever. But if you work out your effective hourly rate and you figure out that a customer is buying your labor, you know, if you're a Westerner and you and let's say you they're buying your labor for less than ten bucks an hour or something, that's that's really is a put your prices up situation. Dude, it's a put your prices way up situation. Yeah. There's nothing um, you can do on ten bucks. Especially an hour. if you're good, if your product's good. The second thing I suggested is that she has a look at a recurring pricing packaging situation. Rather than letting people buy one time stuff, have them go on a retainer situation. Yeah. And and I explained it like this. I said, look, 
are the people who buy things from you here and there buying from you again? And she said, yeah, a lot of them actually come back. I said, why don't you just go to them and make it easier for them and say, hey, I notice you're buying spasmodically, yep. but if we sort of average it out and have a look at what you're buying, it would actually be better value for you to just go on a recurring plan yeah. where I'll just keep doing stuff for you. We don't have to have this conversation each time about ordering and delivering. And right. So for a flat monthly fee, I'll do unlimited X or to X scope per yeah. month. And there's so many reasons why recurring subscriptions are effective. But one of the significant ones for the service provider is reliable, consistent yeah, income. continuity of income. Of and it's actually a form of confidence. Of course. That enables you to hire people. It enables you to invest back in your business because you know what's coming in next month and the month after that. The other thing I like about it is that the person isn't necessarily buying a discrete piece of work from you. They're paying for an outcome monthly. And so that makes it easier for you kind of uh, headspace-wise to go, you know what? It's okay if I bring somebody else to help me with the delivery. I think that's one of the keys to productized services is don't focus on the time, focus on the the package. Yeah. Like what they're getting shouldn't be X number of times, even though for service-based businesses, it absolutely is about time. If you buy a website, what you're really buying is probably 30 hours of development. Yes. If you buy an article, what you're really buying is probably two or three hours of writing and editing. Yep. Uh, if you buy- Which uh, is a good way for you as the business owner to think through costs and pricing, but it's a bad way for you to sell the stuff. Bad way to sell it, a good way to to understand it behind the scenes. And I'll give you a classic example of that. If you want to go through hyper growth, which is something we see a lot mm-hmm. with, with our students, then they're going to need a trigger point to know when to hire. Yes. And the way that we would trigger it was simply, it was basically if, if, if we sold X number of packages and it took X number of hours to deliver each package, we'd then realize we have, well, let's say we have 10 packages and it takes five hours per package. Yep. We now have 50 hours we've sold. Yep. So we need human labor to do that 50 hours. So we go and hire someone yep. for those 50 hours. And if we can hire them for less than what we sold it for, Bonus. we're making a profit and it's not our hours. So here's the big idea from that. Great. You can buy time. Mm-hmm. You can buy time. You can agree to buy other people's time to commit that to your business and you can resell that time, but not as time, as a thing, as a package service. Yeah, because nobody wants to buy. The whole problem with the hourly rate model is that you know, they're interested in you do it as quickly as you can and you're, you know, you're incentivized to take as long as you can. It's it's a bad deal for both parties. It's kind of adversarial. Or like the legal profession. Yeah, exactly. That's like, the like one of the most broken Yeah, models. I'll they, be you in six-minute increments. Okay. And more. they get incentivized the longer that it goes on. The, of course. The longer that it goes, the more they get. So they're, they're never actually invested in solving a situation. And they're not selling an outcome. They're, they're trying to keep you on the hook as long right, as possible. Right, so if you sell, uh, let's say, a website – Sounds like phone sex. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> well, from what I from what I've heard, we've got a uh, an uh, you know like a per minute rate. Keep them on the line. Keep them on the line. Right, yeah. So I I get where you're coming from there. As someone from who's never experienced oh, that, me either. I needed so that explained to me. You're welcome. If you sell a website, then now you know you're not incentivized to spend as long as possible on it. You're incentivized to have the customer think that it's a great website. Completely. And, and the it, amount of time you put in is completely irrelevant. Yeah, if you have five people working on it at once, it doesn't matter to the customer. So there's a lot of options there. So back to our friend, whose name is Kaz. I also, the third piece of advice I gave her was to take back control of her own marketing. Right. Because a lot of these service providers are hanging out on other people's platforms for example, you might have heard of Odesk yep. or whatever. They might be in certain groups. Maybe the only place you find them is 
is on these third-party platforms. Mm. But if they build their business there and their uh, changes, then as we've mentioned on so many episodes yeah, before- Yeah, you've got no asset got and you've got no control. So we're talking about owning the race course here. And so she set up her own website with her own recurring package. That's basically what she started to do. And The other thing I think I, I really like about the productized service kind of recurring model is- uh, you said before that the client is using her sort of spasmodically, some months lots, some months not at all. And the recurring revenue model allows them to pay a, a flat rate monthly, whether they use you or not. It's a bit like a gym. So on the months when they use you a lot, you've got good margins. And on the months when they choose, for whatever reason, they don't need it or they're away and they forget, you've got incredible profit. And so you don't need to hire a hire a team directly on a one-to-one hour-per-hour ratio. Right, so there's a few things with that. I've always taken the approach that one of the metrics we looked for was consumption. Right. Based on the fact that if someone is going on a 30-day renewal, you want to make sure they are consuming. Mm -hmm. Take the gym example. Right. If you can give them a plan and you can invite them in if they're missing, like, hey, we haven't seen you. We looked in the locker room. We looked under the benches. We couldn't see you anywhere. Right. Please come back in. Yeah. If you can keep them consuming, they're probably more likely to stick around for a long time. So. I've got a very results and performance-based mentality about it where I know some subscription people teach the old hope they don't notice no, the credit completely. card thing. Yeah, so yeah, I, think- I know you're not saying that, but what we are saying is there's some some differential between what you sell and what people consume. Yeah, completely. There's going to be a month-to-month. Uh, month. Sometimes they're going to use you lots and lots and lots, and sometimes they're going to use you a little less. Both ways are cool. And we want to make sure that you've got a good margin both ways. Exactly. Now, there are a few little gotchas with that too. Tell me about gotchas. If you are supplying like X units of a package per month, Mm -hmm. then if people don't consume and it starts banking up, there's sometimes a tendency for them to come back months later and say, hey, we didn't use it. Can we have a refund? Or, you know, we've, we've changed the people in our business now. We don't need it anymore. What can we do with our remaining credits and stuff? So another good reason to keep that... Yeah, uh, the, keep the client actually using it. And to have thing. a very strong agreement about what, what their retainer is. Yeah, I used to hear uh, somebody, it might have been Ryan Dice, someone like that, talk about a breakage model and a consumption model. And breakage was all about how do we, you know, sneak the bill in under their nose so they never even thought to use it. It's a bit like, you know, your pay TV service, maybe you don't use it that much, but it's more of a pay to cancel. We're not talking about that model at all. Yeah. We're talking about a consumption model, which is how do we help them get great value from our stuff. And then, look, some people listening to this are offering their personal services in less tangible things. Like it's not an article, it's not a website. Right. It's maybe coaching. Right. It's a lot harder to to build up a credit with coaching. Like the month goes, it's yeah. like if you didn't use it, then whose fault is that? So totally again, framing it clearly, the expectation. Yeah, and the, the, and the way around that is just like you said with the gym. We have a traffic light model. You know, every client is either uh, green, orange, or red. Green is they're active, they're using it, they're engaged. Orange is, hey, haven't seen them for a little bit. And red is, you know, red flags. MIA, we call Yeah, MIA. Let's let's reach out to that person on the phone and get them back in. So we had an MIA report where we would follow people up if we hadn't been getting responses to the help desk. I would actually email them from my personal Gmail. I'd contact them on Skype. I'd find them on Facebook and say, hey, hey, Taki, you know, that website you ordered, can we get that going for you or whatever? So that's basically a good example of, of uh, well-intentioned yeah, of course and, and you know, ethical subscription business model. Love that. So she actually had a look at the relationships she had in a few business ventures mm. and realized that she should pay herself first. Right. It's something my grandfather taught me. 
Thanks, Gramps. It's, it's where you treat yourself as your best client. Totally. That's why a lot of things that I look at where it's an option to be a partnership or just do my own thing, I usually end up with my own thing. Totally. Because I know that we all have a little bit of bias towards our own projects. The next thing she did is she ditched her non-paying clients, just cut them off the bottom. Yep. Sorry, it's not the right service for you anymore. And then she went out with her new pricing to her prospective clients that she was starting to build up because she's now marketing on her own website. Love that. Yep. So even if you do say, uh, hey, we're not a match anymore to your you know, past B-grade clients, C-grade clients, maybe D-grade clients, if you go, hey, we're not going to work like this anymore, but I've got this new product I was offering, you may find that they're a perfect match for the new thing and now you can be uh, a little bit more hands-off. Well, I also want to... Uh, point to some research I was reading about lately about you know A class, B class, C class. You know how we, we talk about hiring A players yep. and B players, and and we talk about uh, A class or B class or C class clients. Yeah, I've found research that actually indicates that's quite elastic. That it's very rare that someone will always be an A, a B, or a C. Completely, and they can easily shift up or down. Yes. So, and in the, the research that I saw um, where they case studied a, an employer. Over a long period, they found that a lot of this was dictated by the review process and and what type of projects they're working on. People could move from an A to a B to a C to a B to an A. Yes, you can actually shift your clients into the right category by being clear with your offer. So it's not uncommon that her non-paying clients become the perfect fit for this subscription. Exactly, service. totally. Yeah. So I, th- I just thought that was a, an interesting distinction. Totally. That probably is not being discussed very often. So she basically put up her productized services and within two weeks, it was profitable because she's now charging the right amount. Yep. She's, got, uh, she's looking at a wall of recurring billing coming down the pipeline. It gave her the confidence to go out and enthusiastically invest more time getting the right sort of clients because the, the value of a client just shoots up. The other thing I love about this confidence-wise is now she's selling uh, – lots of people who are solo professionals find it hard to sell themselves. But now she's not selling herself. She's selling a thing. Exactly. And so she can stand and go, hey, this thing is perfect for you. And so now she can charge more. She can look somebody in the eye and say, this thing will help you because she's selling a thing with an outcome, not – it's got nothing to do with her personal self-esteem. And the other thing is instead of a $200 or let's say in her market, probably it's like a $50 sale. Right. If that become recurring client and they agree to buy multiples per month, that could be a $2,000 client. Over a year, yeah, of instead of a fifty dollar client, how much more enthusiastically could we talk to a two thousand dollar client than a fifty dollar client? If it comes down to a Facebook conversation or investing time in marketing, of course, for that sort of yeah. client, love that. So she basically uh, got she got up and running with her new package, new pricing. She got clients. She became really conscious of her time, and she stopped wasting it on things like social media and emails. I've read research reports that say that senior executives spend a minimum of 20% of their week in the inbox. Wow, that's like a whole workday. And I would, I would not be surprised <laughs> if it's significantly more for home-based entrepreneurs who are lonely to a large extent. So I, mean, I think the secret, honestly, about inbox is if you, if you can be the one sending the emails, not the one receiving the emails, you're in much, much better shape. The inbox is the to-do list that other people get to add things to. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. So... Really, the big lessons from this are that it's important to get paid what you're worth because then you can actually scale. 
Because if you're not getting paid what you're worth, you're actually sabotaging your scaling efforts. Why would you want to have more of something that's eroding your self-esteem and making you feel uh, like you're in a, a struggle? And she's she's actually been able to build her business while still home educating three kids, which is pretty phenomenal. That's the sort of confidence you can get from a recurring subscription. Love that. So for me, I've got you know, three big takeaways that, that have come up for me. The first thing is all of this makes sense once you've done your effective hourly rate. You've got no idea if you're doing well or if you need a change unless you actually look at some numbers. It's good to know where you're starting from. Totally. And then you can set a, a goal. You know what? I'd love to get to here. And benchmark off yourself. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Like I know what my HR is. You know what yours is. Right. And it's got absolutely nothing to do with what the guy next door is doing. Nope. You don't have to go, crap, $1,000 an hour. That sounds like a lot. Just go, you know what? It's... right now, I'd like to improve that. And for a lot of these entrepreneurs who have a few little irons in the fire, it's nice to be able to scale, you know, score them against each other. Completely. Like, you know, should yeah. I be doing this or that? Like I've ended up and people who have followed me for, let's say, a decade, and I've got a couple of them, will have seen me go from about 12 profit centers to around about three. Yeah. Because even just in the last six months, yeah. there's been two big chunks. I've halved my business of course you can. In, in terms of the amount of things I have to focus on because I know where I'm dialing in my effective hourly rate. Completely. Yeah, it's and just a great scorecard. It's a good way to benchmark against uh, other businesses, even if they're completely separate. And, the- you know, my needs are different. I'm, I would like to surf every day. Yep. Other people want to buy the jets. And then some people want to be able to turn up to an entrepreneur's room and brag they had the biggest launch. Other people have their own mission. So don't benchmark off other people. No. Because, you know, you mightn't wish for what, what they have. No, it, very often. Basically, swap places with your future self instead of someone else. I think that's a really great Yeah, I just great. made that up on the spot. I think that's a good one. Hey, future self. Shall hey, we swap? Green. Yeah. Let's swap. <laughs> uh, three things. Number one, work out your effective hourly rate. Yeah. Secondly, if you're a freelancer or a solo professional, let's see if we can create a productized service. And what that's going to do is it's going to give you potentially more confidence selling it because you're selling a a thing with an outcome, not you and your time. Resource there, Built to Sell, John Warrillo. Yeah, great book. When I read that book, I was just nodding my head because I'd done exactly that with my SEO service. Totally. And I sold it. Of course. Yeah, so that was good. To sell and sold. Same with the website development business. Exactly. Sold. And the other book that John did was called The Automatic Customer. Yep. And that was- it's about memberships. It was really because he didn't feel he pushed the recurring angle enough in Built to Sell. Yeah. But Built to Sell plus Automatic Customer gives you packaged services on a retain, uh, retainer that's recurring. Which is exactly what we're talking about here. It's exactly what we're talking about. But we were doing this before the books came out, so, but the books will really support it. Yeah. So slight plug here. Now you can buy those two books or you can check out Superfast Business Membership because I'm sure that does a good job of both of those two things. Well, that's very kind of you. I also interviewed John Rillo. You totally um, did. We'll put a link to the podcast where we where we did that. But it, it would be fair to say that a lot of the conversations we have are around recurring income. Yeah, Because I'm a huge fan of it. And for the simple reason that of all the parts of the profit formula, mm. everyone focuses on the two yeah, parts. More leads, more yeah, More traffic, right. reduce costs. Mm-hmm. The things I focus on are conversions mm-hmm. and frequency. Right, because they're easy trigger, easy levers and to pull. And recurring income is focusing on that frequency, and that, that's the secret. That is the gold. It's a small number. A frequency of one is kind of limiting. Uh, the frequency of recurring forever 
is very empowering. It's kind of nice. Totally we've, you know, we've empowered a, a mum who's looking after kids here to have a business that can lift her household up to uh, financial viability. Um, she did a few other things that yeah, required discipline. I know she sent through a little checklist of some of the, the, she, the wins. She quit all tasks and roles that aren't serving her well, which is easy to score. You look at it and say, how does, how's this affecting my effective hourly rate? Yep. If it's lower than your effective hourly rate, cut it. You don't do it. Yeah. Like, for example, mowing the lawn. That was one of my first incidents of effective hourly rate filtering. Right. I love that because I remember having a chat with Dean Jackson and, and uh, we were talking about how time is time, whether it's business time or personal time, and what people are so quick to, like, delegate or outsource their business stuff and you can get most of the personal stuff done for so much cheaper. Oh, and they're, they're still cooking, ironing, right. lawn mowing. This, like, I remember renovating my house. It was uh, 10 years ago, actually. I found some photos. And I remember carrying bricks around the wheelbarrow, and then I'd go inside onto my computer to, to start my fledgling online business. Right. And I'm thinking, bricks is really hard <laughs> work. Really I hate this. Work. I would rather hire a builder. And at the time, I was just going through that mental learning of I – mean, I was there, but people around me weren't quite there. It's much, much harder for parents and, and stuff to understand totally. this. Yeah, that, 100%. That you'd nerd out on the computer instead of getting your hands dirty. Right. But I would, I'd rather surf for my physical activity than cart bricks. I don't know. Call me strange or whatever. Strange. <laughs> but anyway, um, there's a lot of things that you're doing, everything you're doing, whether it's business or, or um, home stuff, have a yeah. look at your EHR. And if you don't love it, ditch it. Ditch it. Yeah. Either, like, either stop it altogether because there's lots of stuff that we do that, frankly, we don't need to or pass it on to somebody else. Now, she also turned off the TV. Yeah. Genius. Now, like I, when I want to find out the news these days, I'll just scan Twitter. Yep. I subscribe to news agents. I don't need to look at the TV. And, and frankly, the last time I turned it on, I was unbelievably shocked at the the level of dribble yep. on f- TV. Unbelievable. Unsubscribe to unwanted and unnecessary emails. 100%. The easy hack there is to go into your Google account. Is a rule? And just look for the word unsubscribe. Yes. It'll show you what lists you're on. Yep. And just um, unsubscribe. The next thing is she built her team around Slack. Perfect. So, tool we both use. Important word there being team. Yep. <laughs> which means, yeah, if you're a freelancer, you probably don't need yeah. Slack, which means if you don't need Slack, you need a team, so you do need Slack. Exactly. If you don't have a team or Slack, then there's some things to put on your action list. Yep. Uh, she stopped worrying about customers who were bad customers or prospects who aren't. Uh, the right type of customers. So she was able to filter it and feel good about it. Mm. And the next thing she did is she focused on who the right customers are and built those relationships. So she actually specifically targeted high-caliber entrepreneurs and that had a huge payoff because they love what she's doing and they recognize her value. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that if she wasn't charging enough, they would overlook her Completely. as a substandard supplier. Yep, they totally would. And so she hasn't just looked for high-quality entrepreneurs, but she's looked for who already has a group of these people that, that she can talk to. She also used social media for positivity and not uh, to fritter away her time. Gotcha. And she started using some leverage, like getting some tools to do things like scheduling posts and she took over building out her own platform on her own server to build this subscription-based program. And you'd be surprised, Taki, but you don't need a lot of tools no, to totally do this. Don't. In fact, you could do it with no tools. Yep. The very first recurring subscription customers that I got, I signed up for $5,500 per month. Yep. They went for seven and a half years. And I used no tools other than a telephone. 
food. And my sales pitch was extraordinarily simple. Give it to us now. It was, okay, so I was talking to a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I was on the telephone, I said, now go to Google. You're in front of the computer? And they said, yes. I said, now type in Injury Lawyer Sydney. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're doing that? Yep. Now click on your website. Now now click on your website. Hello? I can't see it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. Well, I can help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and that was it. No tools, just a telephone. Yep. And they were at their computer. Yeah, so, so we don't need to keep it the simple. lesson there is totally keep it simple. You want uh, as uh, as few tools as possible and as many as you need. I just look, I wanted to point this out because a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about the tools. Yep. All the tech, the tools, the they get so bogged down in all the, up in having all everything ready and right to go. But the thing they're not doing is making an offer. Yep. And getting that customer to say yes. So I that think it was work. Guy Kawasaki who's or Guy Kawasaki's mum who said sales fix all problems. <laughs> well, the copywriters always say you're only one good sales letter away from all the money you need. Yeah. But in 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 this case, CAS really was only a productized subscription service business model away from solving her challenge. Totally. She went from distraught and right to the brink to profitable in two weeks and now a bunch yep. of time and it's awesome. And in the time since she told me about this, I've watched her grow and she's done another few innovations and it'd be good to get an update episode in the future, but it's actually really kicking along well now. Love that. Totally so, good. So number one, work out your EHR, your effective hourly rate. Number two, if you're a freelancer, let's see how a productized service could serve you and help you scale. And number three, let's look at pricing and recurring as two easy levers to pull to get you into profit. Exactly. And if if you follow these steps and you're interested in selling your productized service, there are definitely some things you can do to make that easier on yourself and that will be a conversation for another day. I think we'll probably dig into some of those on a future case study. If you're interested in that topic, please make a comment at Sales Marketing Profit right near episode 30. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this show, we'd love it if you could give us a review on iTunes. That'd be awesome. Or look, even if you hate it, just give us an honest review and let, let us know where we can improve. Yep. And if you if you are a freelancer or you know someone who is – Give them a link to Sales Marketing Profit, episode 30, and, uh, dude, help them out. Yeah, do them a favor. You're listening to SMP with James Schramko and Talkie Moore. Visit salesmarketingprofit.com.